So today's scripture comes from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Jesus calls Levi. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing through the Gospel of Mark in our series called Lord and King. As we get to see, I like to call the Gospel of Mark the introduction to Jesus. And uh, we're looking at a passage which... For me, maybe if you grew up in the church, it's a very familiar passage, but um, I want you to try to really wrestle today with um, really its oddness and really, quite frankly, how disturbing it is. Um, it's great. I just want to just quick shout out. Couple, we have a couple of college students back, and um, it's that time of year, May, and so I'm really happy to see you guys back. And then in the next couple of weeks, we know more and more are going to come home, and so... Um, all your little, you know, older brothers, not, some of you not too much older, and like some of like, like me, a lot older, um, uh, just please just love on them and welcome them home um, and, and then encourage them while they're here, all right? Let's get into today's passage, this uh, remarkable passage uh, with Jesus um, and the tax collector and in a message I've called The Doctor for Sinners, part one of my message. I'm going to talk about scum, traitors, and the good and responsible. Scum, traitors, and the good and responsible. Because that's, this is the cast of characters that's in this, uh, in this, um, in this story, all right? Part two, um, the, the, who follows the doctor's orders? This is the picture that Jesus gives um, in, in response to the controversy that's arising. And I want to ask you a question. Um, do you see that Jesus is a doctor, and who follows a doctor's orders? In part three, I'm going to close with um, a, a, a discussion what I want to call the doctor, his cure, and his medicine, right? The doctor, his cure, and his medicine. All right, part one, scum traders and the good and responsible. So there is a, there is a question that's happening. Um, in, the, in this here, where, he, where the, the scribes of the Pharisees ask this question, why does Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors? Sinners and tax collectors. Um, now, if you grew up in this church, you, you, in, the, in the church, you might, you might know this story. But I think for most people, the story has become too easy. <laughs> it has become this kind of tamed Christianized, easy little Bible lesson, and this is absolutely nothing of the sort. When you get to, we're, we're only in chapter two, and what I want you to see is that Jesus is a very disturbing person, is a very disruptive figure. And this, this happens here. So what you have is Jesus goes forward. He calls a guy named Levi 
who is a tax collector, and um, just to just get, he he sits in a booth. Now, there's we have all kind of manners of tax collectors, even here in America. You know, um, you know the the kind you typically tend to think of is the IRS agent, and um, that is the person you never want having to call you, and you never want that person to visit you, and that person has authority to look into your books and then and then tell you to fork over um, whatever, thousands of dollars of the government, if, if that's the number that he comes to. That's a person we're all afraid of. But there's like uh, lower levels of tax collection. And so I don't know if you ever think about this, but when you um, go to a bridge and you hand over $5 to the person at, at that booth, that, that person's a tax collector. You guys get that? And that's what they're doing. Um, that's taxes that you're paying. And they're collecting taxes. This guy is kind of more on the lower end of this type of job. And it probably wasn't such a great job. Um, but Jesus calls him and says, follow me. And then he does. And then he's so grateful, he throws this, this great feast, this party. Um, this is the kind of a, you know, culture that I would, I would love to be in. I, this isn't something we do in our culture, but you lie down at the table and, and then all these people are gathered. I mean, that's pretty cool. But it creates a problem, or at least um, a problem for some, some people. And they ask this question, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And the persons who are doing this are scribes of the Pharisees. Now, um, if you weren't here last week, let me just try to give you a quick explanation of, of what is a scribe. A scribe is a person who writes the Bible. And so this is pre-Gutenberg, you know, no printing press. Um, everybody, like, you know, you guys have the Bible here. You have it on your phone. Isn't that, isn't that really cool? But, um, you know, if, uh, if that, this, is, this, is a, this isn't the way it was back then. The highest and most valued things in our culture, we give our best people to. And so a person who has this job has to be not only highly literate, but you have to have the best education. You have to write very meticulous. You must know the Bible so well that you're less likely to make a mistake. And then you must be able to read the other guy's um, writings and then catch their mistakes. And so I might have said this to you before, that on a page, you would read, you would write you know, a portion of scripture. Somebody else would read yours. And then if there's more than one mistake, you know what they would do? They'd burn that page. That's what they would do. Now, but just, just stop for a moment here. This isn't cheap paper like we have today. It's, it's, it's a very serious kind of, it would, it would be par, um, parchment or a more fancier kind of paper that would go in what they'd call codexes. And the very paper itself or the, the thing that you would run is expensive. And it's not that easy to produce. And so for them to burn a piece that you wrote on just because it had more than one, that shows you how valuable it is. The person doing that job, um, that is not going to just be just some average person. That is a person who's going to go to the best schools, the best universities, test out the best. And that's a well, high-paying job with incredible, that's incredibly respected in society. Right? And something else, too. This, these aren't just the scribes. They're the scribes of the Pharisees. So there's multiple kind of like, I think we tend to think, if you grew up inside the church, a Pharisee is a bad guy. Right? 
um, is a person that generally Jesus tends to have conflicts with. And so they must be bad and we don't want to be like them and we're not going to be Pharisees. So mostly like, I'm not a Pharisee, I'm not like a Pharisee. And so that's what we tend to think. But uh, if you understand who the Pharisees are, the Pharisees are among the, uh, among the, the people with the best theology. <laughs> and they are of the people who have the, have the highest moral character. And so there's multiple camps that may handle um, teaching of the Bible and have people who do scribes so they can, you know, give off the Bible. But the, 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 the most respected group was called the Pharisees. They had the most sound theology. And they, had, um, they were among the best, most morally upright people. And so um, you, if you're going to be a scribe, you are really up there in society. If you're going to be a scribe of the best, you're really up there in society. Now, just, just stop for a moment here. Right? Um, every culture, actually, let me just get, get my visual here. Um, every culture, we like to send our best to the people, things that we value. You guys have one of these? All right, you, you, you guys are maybe a little fan. You, you might have the better version than mine. This is a, you know a little bit of a few years older. Um, these smartphones, you know, this is something at least, especially certainly in our city, in our whole culture, we value. You know, you can't just be any old person and make these things, right? You can't just be any old person and and work for Apple and climb their ladder. Um, about 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 I don't know what how was it about five years or so ago. Um, I, you know, you guys, you know how it says, you get that little, you get that little red dot, and then you're supposed to push the button, and then it, it updates all the software, right? And then they give you a little warning, back up everything before you um, update the software. Do you guys ever pay attention to that warning? You should. Because <laughs> about five years ago, I was like, okay, I never had this problem before. Just do it. Boom. And I just, and I hit it, and it started, and then it finished, and then I opened up my phone, Boom, there was nothing. All my stuff was gone. And then you know what happened? For the next hour, lots of really bad words came out of my mouth. <laughs> and then it's like I kind of just forgot that I'm, I was a Christian. And just, just fury and wrath and just horrible, like, you know, words, you're, you know, like decent, good people are not supposed to say came out of my mouth. And then, and then you know, like for the next couple hours, I'm fixing it, and, and then I'm putting my stuff back on, and then I, I'd calm down, and then like something that's supposed to be on there isn't on there, and then I, get, I just get furious all over again. Right? Because why? Because practically your whole life is organized on this thing, right? <laughs> this is, that's, that's how valuable it is. So I'm just trying to give you a, an analogy of something that our culture values and so I was so angry. I wanted to go down to one infinite loop, you know, the headquarters of Apple. You know, I actually happened to live in the same city and find out whose fault it was and get them fired. I was just so mad. And, um, but, you know, these are people, these are incredibly talented people. They have gone to, you know, they work really, really hard and they get paid really well, right? And this is why they can live in this city and so forth. And... Those are the people who are like the scribes and the Pharisees. You get it? <laughs> so um, when, you, when you think when you, you have this kind of like easygoing, like cheap, churchly teaching that the Pharisees are bad guys, what I'm trying to show you is that's not true. <laughs> to these people, the Pharisees are good guys. They are, as I like to call them, the good and the respectable, the smart 
Um, they're not just respectable, they are respected. And they would be the kind of people that would go to the good synagogue. They wouldn't go, I'm not going to go to that synagogue over there. That, that teaching over there is no good. <laughs> I'm going to go to this synagogue over here. And my kids are going to be with the, the, the kids of the, 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 these kind of people. And um, I'm not going to live in you know, bad neighborhoods where, where the kids, you know, where the kids are shooting each other or there's like drug dealing going on and there's dangerous and shady characters and stuff like that. These are the, these are the people that lots of the folks in society look, look to. And so um, let me put it like bluntly here. Um, the Pharisees are us. <laughs> you get it? If this is just an, a, a cheap little story of something that happened back then, and we can easily put the Pharisees in the bad guy camp, it really wouldn't have much to say to us. Um, most of the people, you know, most, almost all you guys in this room, you went to good schools. You have respectable jobs. Um, you're not the, the kind of people, like, if people met you, they generally go, oh, this is a good person. I, I like this person. I like this, having this person in my life. And... Um, that's, the, that's the kind of folks that most, most almost all of you are. In fact, I hope all of you are. I think you all are. So guess what? You know who the Pharisees are? It's us. <laughs> it's us. So this guy who makes really good money, out of the camp of respected people, they ask this question. Why does this Jesus guy eat with sinners and tax collectors? And so the way I want to translate this word sinners, every society, I mean, our society isn't like a traditionally moral society. We, we really moved away from the Bible. But um, every society, so if you, they use the word sinner, normally if you grew up in the church, you've, you've been taught this thing that everybody sins against you know, God's laws. We're all the sinners. That's theologically true. But that's not the way they're using this terminology here. They're not, use, they're not using, making a, a theological point. Really what they're doing is they're actually making something more like a sociological point. There's always a group of people in every society that is below standard. <laughs> and if they're around, um, that is not a person you want around. <laughs> Their moral fiber or something about them is like just contaminating. And that's what they mean when they say, why does he eat with sinners? Table fellowship in this society is incredibly important. So it isn't just like hanging out. Who you eat with is who you honor. Say, we are together. We are one. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, when, I, when I went to Korea many, many years ago, I, I remember my uncle, he wasn't rich, but he made a point to specifically take me out to a nice restaurant. And my Korean was terrible. And of course, his English is non-existent. And we ate this nice meal. And then at the end, you know, he, he, he pulls out, you know, the, the alcohol. And, and he pours me a shot. And he goes, and he goes wait a second. You, you drink, don't you? And I was like, I, I do now. <laughs> and, uh, and in drinking with him, he was saying, you, you're with me. Even though I can't really speak very well to you. you can't, it, was a, it was a mostly silent dinner. It was really weird, okay? But he was being, here saying, I love you. You're, you're one of me. That's the meaning of table fellowship. So it's incredibly offensive that Jesus would eat with the word. We, would, we wouldn't use the word sinner. We would use something like scum. The scum of our people of, in our society. Um, who would be the equivalents? I, I, I've been thinking about this. It would be, um, you guys know that list 
that's on the web, and on, you can go on the internet and find out the people that have been convicted of sex crimes. And you're supposed to, you know, the reason they put those up there, but they live, they live in your neighborhood. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't go on that website to find out about them, but some people do. And then they go around telling the people and their neighbors, that, that guy over there, yeah, that guy touched kids in a, in a bad way. And um, wouldn't it be just great if a pastor came into your neighborhood and decided to have dinner with that person and say, hey, would you like to have dinner with me? And, um, you know, him? wouldn't that be a great dinner? That's what's happening. <laughs> That's what's happening here. Other people, um, racists. Racists are pretty below par in our culture, you know? We don't really, I don't know of it anyway, but we, we, we don't have like white supremacist groups in our, in our, in our city. But um, if there was, and um, you had a spiritual leader, and he decides, I'm, they're having a party. I, I'm, he looks really comfortable eating meals with them. That, would that be like, let's say you have a pastor. That's, you know that would be on the news. Pastor so-and-so. Having dinner, you know, it'd be a political event. I mean, political, like, scandal. It'd be just, it'd be crazy. You, you, you guys, you know that would be the case. That's what's happening. Or um, known drug dealers, mafia types. I don't know. That, that, that's what's going on. <laughs> so Jesus is eating with the scum. So why does he eat with the scum and the tax collector? Well, okay. Now, um, tax collectors are not popular. Um, they're not popular today, but th this is a whole nother deal. <laughs> um, we have never been invaded in our country. Um, Pearl Harbor was terrible. 9-11, 9-11 was terrible. I, I, I don't know, some of you guys are, are, are kind of young. I don't know if you remember what it was like at 9-11. Um, we weren't... We, we, weren't, we weren't occupied. We just had, you know, just 3,000 of our, of our citizens murdered on our own soil. And that was an unbelievably painful thing for our country. Right? Um, but imagine if, if a foreign power were to come and take over, you have great pride and love for your own people, and you believe you still have your values, I mean, you are, you're Israel. You are God's people. You have God's word. You have, um, you have the right God and the right morality, and other people don't. And the Romans come along, and they are a morally gross people to you. They just have all kinds of crazy, like, sexual orgy practices. They, they all they just let these, um, these, uh, these uh, temples around, and they support all this stuff. And they have murdered us. And now, so they have jobs. They offered the job of tax collector. And some of our people decide to take that job. And the money we have to pay that guy gets used to pay for the armies that, that slaughter our people and, um, and hold us down. I mean, I don't even, we've never tasted this in America. Imagine if, like, ISIS somehow were to come over a portion of America and defeat us, and we're still Americans, and it's on our soil, and then they say the Constitution, freedom, no way. You, you must obey Sharia law. I mean, just imagine if, you, you know, you're, you're, 
your wife had to go out just completely covering all that other kind of stuff. You know, like, not that that practice in and of itself is wrong, but the idea of that, that culture being imposed upon you, the religion being imposed upon you, right? The moral practice that we, we're a very freedom-loving people. This is what, what it's about. But their vision of religion and society and governance, I mean, can you imagine if that was imposed on us? Um, that, that would just be incredible. And then how would you feel if one of your neighbors, you know, your friends decided to get a job and you, the money that you have to give that guy is paying for the occupation? I mean, that's, that's, that's a tax collector. So when they ask this question, they're saying, why does that guy eat with, eat with the scum? You know, the sexual predators, and the people that we absolutely despise, that support the, the intolerant regime that's murdered our people? That's the question they're asking. I thought he's supposed to be a man of God. And before I go to the next portion, I just want you to just feel what's happening in this story. It is not an easy story. It is incredibly disruptive and disturbing. And if we just go in and just, oh, Jesus, you know, Jesus is the, you know, the great Jesus. He's so great. The offensive Jesus, the, the incredibly disruptive Jesus, um, we have to wrestle with this. And understand that it isn't easy for us to just say, oh, those, those Pharisees over there, that's us. So if you understand the story, it's, it's, it's not a fun story, is it? Okay, let's go to part two. So, in asking this question, uh, the answer from Jesus is a really interesting one. He says, look, if you're, um, if you're sick, you go to a doctor. But if, you're, if you don't think you're sick, you don't go to a doctor. I came for those who are sick. I didn't come for those who are righteous. I came for sinners. That's the way he put it. Let me ask you this question. When do you go see a doctor? When will you actually you know, go out of your way, disrupt your day, kind of figure out, like, okay, do I have the insurance? Oh, man, I don't have insurance, so I have money. I mean, it's, I mean, I hate going to see a doctor. And if I, I mean, this is what I do. Like, if I just wake up feeling really, like, cruddy. You know what I do? I just go pop a couple of Tylenol. I mean, who cares if it's, like, actually the right thing? I'll pop a couple of Tylenols because it's a painkiller, right? And then I just power through the day. Just like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm strong. I'm a healthy man. I, I'll just go do this. And only if I'm just, just like, it's just so miserable well, I actually allow myself to just go to sleep and like stay home from work. But even then, let's say I'm coughing, you know, like I raid my, you know, we have a particular cabinet where my wife keeps all, all the med. I'll just find a Robitussin. Here we go. I'll just find, I'm just, I hope we got a cough thing. I'll just go grab that thing and pour it out. Um, uh, a few years ago, a couple, about a couple years ago, I got sick, and then my dad noticed, you know, I was like coughing and I had a fever for a couple weeks, and my dad felt bad for me. And he came over and he gave me this, this red medicine, which he got from Target. It's like, it doesn't even have like a brand name. It's like Target red medicine, okay? And, and um, he gave this, he goes, this stuff is good. And so I poured it out. And it's, got, it's got the cough stuff. It's got the fever stuff. It's even got, you know, Tylenol, you know, acetaminophen in it. And I was like, awesome, right? 
and it tastes good too. And I don't know, there's other medicines that have like the, even the exact same ingredients, but I don't know why, but this one works better. At least I think it works better. So who knows, maybe it's total placebo effect, but I liked it. So like I would just take my, red, you know, my, my target red stuff and just like down it, like literally like a shot. <laughs> I'll just down it and I'm like, okay, I'll just power through. That, uh, that's how I deal with it. Um, is that what you do? When will you actually go to a doctor? You don't even know what's wrong, but um, just to give you an example, um, I um, so a number of you know about this. Uh, many years ago, um, I got sick, and it seemed like the flu. Um, and I just felt weak, and I tried, this, I tried the normal stuff. I popped some Tylenol, and I slept all day. Next day, I felt worse. Okay, I popped some more Tylenol, slept all day. I felt worse. <laughs> I was puking. No food was going down. Went to the emergency room. They checked me out, said, you seem like you got the flu. They gave me some IV and sent me home. And then I started getting dizzy. <laughs> it just got worse. And then my mom, then we finally said, let's go see a doctor. This was the first time I actually had met my doctor. You know, I, like, I'm, I was a healthy young man. <laughs> so I, sh I, I moved to the city. I was like, you know, they make you pick a doctor. You know, I got my health, and health plan, and then I, I just picked one. I just went down the list, and I just went, she, she, seems, she sounds like she's got, like, a good degree, and I just picked her. I just picked her. I literally had never seen this woman. <laughs> and then, so the, the first appointment I ever had with, with uh, this doctor, I, forget, I think it was like Dr. Chen or something. She, she was Chinese. And she was like, oh, this is who you are. Thanks for coming. <laughs> and, and then my mom asked um, that I get a CT scan because I was dizzy. And I found out, like, I had all this water pressure. I mean, it was serious. The, 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 the doctor looked straight at it and said, you need to go like check into hospital now. It was the only time, um, that was, this is the first time I ever had my life threatened, a life-threatening medical issue. And, um, you know, Jesus is, we call him Savior and Lord. Let me tell you something. We, we, if you ever have a life-threatening issue, and then you have a doctor who saves your life, I, 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 don't, I usually use the term Savior for some, you know, for Jesus. But let me tell you something. I had a different savior in my life. His name is Mark Eastham. He was a neurosurgeon, and Mark Eastham saved my life. And uh, if you guys like what I do as a pastor, you should like Mark Eastham um, because I would be dead, or I wouldn't have made it, or I would be a vegetable. And then, you know, like my kids, Hudson, Laura, Elizabeth, they would never have existed, and um, Mark Eastham saved my life. If I were to see Mark Eastham in, in a restaurant, first I would go up to him and probably give him a hug. And he would probably go, who the heck are you? I think he, I think he might remember. He, tell, he, he said he'd remember me. <laughs> because that was a very, very difficult case. Right? Um, but maybe, maybe he wouldn't actually remember me because he saved a lot of people's lives. And then I would probably go to the waiter and say, whatever that guy orders, it's on me. I don't care what it is. Just like it's on. That's, that's what I do when somebody saves you. But this is why we go see a doctor. <laughs> Only when you have a problem so bad that you can't deal with it. <laughs> and yet, most of us, if you think you're largely healthy, 
You have a problem in your life, except we're not talking about your physical life. We're talking about something that's deeper. It's of your heart and of your soul. You have a problem in your life, and you know what you and I typically do? You pop a Tylenol and you power through it. <laughs> Isn't that right? So you look at porn. It's the tenth time you've looked at this, even though you told yourself, oh, I'm not going to look at this. <laughs> And you got a really serious problem in there, but you just go, okay, I'll just stop. You know what that is? That's like popping the, the, the red stuff and moving on. That's what you're doing. Um, when you keep failing, 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 that's when you start realizing there's a really, there's something more. Now, you need a doctor. You have a, a fight with your spouse, and it's really bad. And you start having this thought, anger, the, the anger. You start actually having these fantasies about like, wouldn't it be nice if I'm not with this person anymore and could trade this person in for someone better, <laughs> right? I'm sure, you know, all of you are such great husbands and wives. That's never happened to you, right? <laughs> but then we'll just, you know, you just, you know, when everything kind of calms down and then, you know, you, you're not, you, you don't want to kill each other anymore, then, then you're just trying to move on. You know what that is? That's, that's like Tylenol. <laughs> that's what that's doing. But only if it's really bad will you go. You go. I mean, I didn't even know what, what, what was bothering me. And actually, the doctors I went to were wrong until I finally got to a doctor who actually figured it out. And he started telling me weird things. Like, I, I still remember sitting. It was, it, was, it was here in the city. It was in Good Samaritan Hospital. I was sitting in the emergency room. And um, Dr. Eastham had seen my, you know, my, my scans, and he said to me, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to drill a hole into your skull, <laughs> and then we're going to put a tube in there, and then the, you know, the, the water pressure will run off of it. He goes, like, it's minor brain surgery. That's, that's what, how he described it. <laughs> I, I can still remember it. I'm looking straight into my face, calling it minor brain surgery. And then he says, so Mr. Susong Park, that's kind of how he talks. Do you want this? <laughs> And I looked straight at him, and I was like, yes. Because <laughs> when you're dying, and somebody gives you what seems like a sensible, real solution, the answer is yes. You know, it was interesting. My mom was standing right there. She didn't seem to like this idea of a man drilling a hole into my skull. And she leaned over and goes, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? I looked straight at her, and I was like, yes. <laughs> and then, you know. I mean, it turned into a crazy ordeal. It was like, um, I think it was four, I had to have that operation four times and uh, crazy rehab. And then there was like an infection that almost, I mean, it was, it was, it was a crazy, it turned into a crazy ordeal. But um, why am I talking about that? You go to a doctor, when you have something so serious in your life that you need very serious help to save you. It's, it's a funny way of thinking about it, right? A doctor is a savior. <laughs> it's quite literally true. <laughs> but let me pose a different question. Because this is what we tend to do. So you go in, doctor does his thing, you start to feel better, then you leave and the doctor told you you just go to sleep, stop eating that really garbage stuff that you did before, stop smoking this, stop drinking that, <laughs> you know? And then 
And then what do we do? That the, a lot of people, do they obey their doctor? <laughs> so that's the question. Who actually follows the doctor's orders? I mean, it's serious, crazy stuff. They said, you're going to show up. I'm going to drill a hole. I mean, all this other stuff, right? Who actually obeys the doctor's orders? Only if you know that the doctor is someone you can really trust. And if you don't, you will go back to your old life, which will cause you death. <laughs> Right? Some of the doctor's orders aren't fun. So, stop eating this garbage. But I really like that stuff. Stop drinking, you know, like getting your hammered all the time. But, like, that's what I do when I feel sad. And I feel sad, and so I get, like, I, I, I love that vodka stuff. It's just awesome. Jack, you know, vodka in the morning and Jack at night. And the doctor says, stop doing that. You should get up and like run around like I hate jogging. I hate, I mean, I actually really, really do hate jogging, right? But why would you actually maybe follow what the doctor says? So think about this. He first saves your life, and then he tells you what to do so you can get a new life. Doesn't that sound something kind of odd? In other words, he kind of is the boss. And he's a boss who's supposed to tell you what to do, and you have to follow that thing, even though it's kind of annoying. But just now, let's just stop for a moment here. Um, does anybody call your doctor savior or boss or king? Savior? But it, looks, it sounds really interesting. Jesus, we call him what? Savior and Lord. <laughs> savior and, those are his titles. That's not his name. Those are his titles. That's the relationship. I mean, if you, if you surrender to Jesus and, um, you know, and got the, the, we first came to Jesus because there was a problem so nasty and messed up. And everything that we ever did and every other false doctor that we went to had no answer. And the, except Jesus was Mark Eastem and like infinitely better. And then he cured us. It was incredible. But then... Now that we're feeling all good now, it's like, let's go back to the potato chips and eating ice cream and drinking way too much and like no more exercise and then sleeping at stupid hours and stuff like that, right? That's kind of what we do. In other words, we just go back to the old life. But like, I got my life back. But actually, what we really need is not to get our old life back. If you go to Jesus... And then you just only want your old life back. You just, you know what you're asking for? You're asking for your death. It's really weird. It's really weird. But then, oh, Jesus, go to church. <laughs> Read the Bible. And, you know, actually do some of the things he tells you to do. Something about, like, money, how he handles your money. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to actually forgive your, your, your husband when he's, like, an, a complete idiot and, like, you know, like, major enraged and stuff like that, right? You're supposed to do things like that. And then it's like, all these, like, what is that? But what we're really doing is we're just saying we're just going to go back to the pre-surgery life, where we're dying. Um, you know what this passage is about? It's really interesting. Those who are well don't need a doctor. But I came, not for the righteous, but for the sick. 
But if you actually know who you really are, you realize, gosh, who's righteous? Now, this is really interesting. I bet you the people that he said that to, they're saying, well, I'm the righteous, so I guess I don't need you, huh? <laughs> I guess you're just here for the scum. And this is a, Jesus came not just to heal us. So now, let me just close this message this way. He's a doctor. There's a cure. And there's a medicine. So first we came in with death. <laughs> Except it's like not just like your body dies and you like stop breathing. It's like the kind of death that will put you to hell forever and ever because that's eternal death. So it's like the most horrible sickness ever called sin. And then he actually had a cure. It was a hor horrific cure. He says, you put... You give me all your sickness and death and put it on me. And the cure is, all my life, I'll give to you. <laughs> the life that conquers death, <laughs> I'll give to you. It's a pretty good trade, isn't it? It's an incredible doctor. I've never been to a doctor who did it that way. <laughs> but then the part we don't like, <laughs> then the part we don't like is like this ongoing like care and prescription <laughs> and medicine that because you know you come out of a, something you often still need ongoing care and sometimes even medication right because you know you were had such a horrific thing in the past sometimes it's it's not like a you know, it's not like just a like and that's that's not unlike um, spiritual life too it's like the sin death thing doesn't go away it still keeps coming back to us but like. We usually only want to run to him if it's like an obvious thing like, like the scum. <laughs> but, you know, he gave us a cure for all of it. And you know what's one of the worst of it? The thing that kills us the worst? It's actually the most invisible thing of all. It's, I want my old life back and I'm good on my own. In other words, it's pride. It's righteousness. The delusion that we can just pop some Tylenol and then like, I'll just get my, can just, can we, can we, and then, and then you keep the doctor back. Instead of knowing that actually, first, he took all the death. There's no more for you and me to do. It is a complete work of healing and redemption. But then as this residual sin stuff keeps coming back, there's no more thing. We think it's like, by my work, I will fix it. It's actually not by your work at all. It's really weird. You know, you, nobody ever goes, well, you know, I, I obeyed my doctor. I saved myself. Nobody actually ever says that, right? Who says that? And if you ever met anybody say that, you would look at that person like, what's, what's wrong with you? I would never say that I saved myself. I would say that Mark Easton saved me, because it's true. But, you know, it's funny the other thing, one of the most important things that he gives us is, one, he gives us the prescriptions to live in the new life. He gives you help, and that is his spirit. And then he gives you his people, and we're constantly getting the medicine of the gospel. And you know what the gospel will do? It'll help you get your the most, the worst part of all, the one that helps you forget that you needed him at all. Huh. It's the only one that will really help you to forget that you're not well on your own. 
And that you're not in some special category of the good people over there and the scummy people over there, but that actually all of us here and all is cure and all is medicine will help you remember that deep down it's his life given to us. And if you will separate out this thing, Savior but not Lord, you're not getting it. His Lordship is his saving. His Lordship is his healing. Is he as a doctor, as Savior and Lord that will remember us to forget and repent of being these Pharisees that's trying to manage Jesus and put him in a comfortable little spot so that we can go back to our old life. So brothers and sisters, we need the real Jesus, the full Jesus. Not just for the obvious messy stuff, but for the most invisible poisonous stuff, our self-righteousness and our pride. But we think, I'm a respectable good person. This is the stuff that I really need. Actually, what we really need is him. Not just a doctor, but a savior, a Lord forever. His life, not our old. Let's pray. The most terrible thing about the Pharisees, Jesus, is that they're cleaned up. <laughs> At least they think they're cleaned up. We think we're cleaned up. We look dangerously normal cleaned up. And we don't know and we forget that we desperately need the great, great doctor, savior, Lord, whose life is our real life. <laughs> And so, may we not think of the things that you call us to do as our works, because that's nonsense. Or our earning, because that's just, it's even more absurd. Or even a chore. Some of it's not easy what you call us to do. But may we see it as what we get to do. Our deep gratitude, so we can live in your life. The life where all sickness and in death, and in shame, and including the most horrible kind of sin, the invisible kind, that of pride and self-righteousness, can be washed away by you, and we could live in the newness of life with you. So we go to your table now. May we literally eat of your grace. As we take in your body, and in your blood, would you put the power of your life in us by your spirit? And when we put away all death, especially the worst kind, pride and self-righteousness, may we live in real newness of life, not as Pharisees, but as really redeemed sons and daughters. In Jesus' name.